Hour number two of Canuck Central. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you are listening live, and if you are listening live, we appreciate it. Uh, Sportsnet 650 on your AM dial. Uh, you can listen on the Sportsnet app. Also, if you're in your car and you have HD radio, HD 3969 on your FM dial. Crystal clear HD. Yeah. That's also where you can listen to some of the Young Stars games mm-hmm. this weekend Yeah, for the Vancouver Canucks. As uh, tomorrow night's game will be available on the web stream, not on the main airwaves. But uh, over the weekend, you will hear some of the uh, Canucks Young Stars games uh, happening in Penticton. So, yes, you will still be able to hear those games happening on Sportsnet 650. Yeah. Yeah. I know some, some are wondering... Yeah, is that going to happen? Is, is that I'm like, yeah. Brendan Bachelor still on the call. It's all in. You hear the game. The only reason you're not hearing tomorrow's game on the radio is because the Vancouver Canadians have a playoff game. Big playoff game. So gets Eugene, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, you will be able to hear the young stars over the course of the weekend. Tomorrow we have a big mailbag. So uh, some of your questions that have been coming in, uh, maybe we'll uh, try and answer those tomorrow about some Canucks prospects. Or maybe we'll get to them a little bit later on today. But uh, Quinn Hughes yeah. is uh, an upcoming guest on the 32 Thoughts podcast. They recorded the interview today in Las Vegas as uh, NHL and NHLPA had a uh, media tour, player media tour thing happening in Vegas. And uh, Quinn Hughes was the Canucks representative there. He spoke with uh, Elliot Friedman and... Jeff Merrick about uh, the summer that he just had. And, uh, well, they started off with the summer the team had. Because we all had our expectations of what the offseason was going to look like for the Vancouver Canucks. Did you have any expectations of what Rutherford Alvine were, were going to do in the offseason? And were you surprised at what they did do? Yeah, I had no expectations. I mean, like, that's not my job. They're going to do what they want to do. And I was happy with what they did. I, I was just, I didn't know the Kuzmenko kid at all, but I skated with him yesterday and he's. How's he look? Really good, really good. And uh, the kid from Toronto, too. KF, yep. He's so fast and uh, he's given me trouble in the past. But I think those are great additions. Lazar is going to be a great addition because. He's a great guy. It's always been Bo that has to go take the D zone face off and sacrificing himself and like grinding it out in the D zone and he's too tired to go. And I think Lazar will be able to take some of that and Millsy too, and hopefully PD can expand as well. But yeah, so I'm really happy with what they did. But for me personally, it was all about what I needed to work on in the summer, and um, they gave me things that they wanted to see from me, and that's what I was focused on. What were those things? What did they tell you? For me, I mean, I I had a good year on the ice. Like I was happy with how my year went, and I think they were too. It's for me, it's all mental. Like Roman Yossi had 110 more shots than me, and I think that's a crazy stat. Um, so for me, just shooting a bit more, but then off the ice, trying to expand as a leader, being in the rink earlier, working out, just being a professional and trying to expand my role on the team. I think that's what they want to see. And I think I'm ready for that. Like, how do you do that? Like, what are they talking about with that? Yeah. Like, it's not like something that you just change and, you know, you don't want to be, you know, be fake. Like for me, I'm always going to be who I am. Yeah. So that doesn't mean I have to show up to the rink and be first to the rink, but just trying to be professional, um, working out like during the year, like keep maintaining my strength, 
eating healthy, like just trying to push it in any way I can to try to, you know, get an edge and then bring in my teammates along as well. I mean, I'm a younger guy, but going on my fourth year and, um, like I said, trying to expand my role, but I think that's what they want to see. I'm actually a little surprised to hear that Quinn, because in the limited amount of time that I've dealt with you, I've never like thought like you're, you're quiet. You don't say yeah. a lot. But I can tell, like, you you cannot stand losing. Like, you hate it. Yeah. So I'm actually a little bit surprised to hear that that anyone would think that you need to do more of that. Because you always seem that you do that. Yeah. I do do a lot of that. Like, I love hockey. I'm always there. I'm, like, on the ice early. I'm last guy off the ice. Like, I really enjoy it. For their aspect, I think they just want to see – me try to be the best I can be in every situation, in every area. And I, like, I welcome that. And like I said, I want to be a leader. And if I'm doing those things then I can ask my teammates to do those things and try to do the best at, you know, at what they do. So I think that's where it comes from as well. When you hear things like the Vancouver Canucks are doing this on the Hughes Pedersen timeline, what goes through your mind? Uh, I don't know. Like, I will say my first year was like everything was perfect. It was like rainbows. I went in. I <laughs> I did very well. My second year, I struggled. Lost, like, not lost my confidence, but I remember going in the summer like, man, like, I got to dial in. Like, I got to have a better year. And I think I did that. And But at the start of last season, I was, like, nervous going into the year because I had no camp. And I remember my first game in Edmonton. I did not play well. And Greener was on me. My second game in Philly, I played very well. Third game in Detroit, I played well, but we lost two to one. Fourth game, I was injured. Didn't play the fourth game. So I was like nervous. And then I got it on the rails and I had a really good season, I thought. And now I feel like I'm able to like where I'm at a point where I can really push this thing and see what I can do. There is uh, Quinn Hughes, uh, an upcoming interview. Uh, You'll hear the full interview on the 32 Thoughts podcast, but a little sneak preview Mm -hmm. uh, here on Canuck Central from us. Yeah. uh, Reach has the hookup. So uh, (laughs) we got a little bit of audio ahead of everybody else, but a nice little preview. And my main takeaway from all that, Reach, raise your standards. Mm -hmm. You're great. Your work as a superstar, but we're coming from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Mm-hmm. We've seen Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and an organization whose habits are off the charts and yep. are so driven and push each other and have a different level of preparation and habits. That's what we want to see. That's essentially, I mean, I don't think they came out and said all those things, but based on what Quinn just said and him mentioning that, you know, the organization wants to see more from him and the things they talked about and all that sort of stuff, it's not about they don't think he's a great player. They're not hard on him, they're not getting down on him. What they're seeing is a elite level superstar talent mm-hmm. and a guy who can really separate himself. He can be one of the greatest of in the game. And guys like that set standards. And it's like you if you take it even higher, that's not only gonna make great mean great things for you, but it means great things for everybody else because you as your best young defenseman or best young player is raising the bar. It's uh sort of what the Sedins did for a lot of years in Vancouver. Yeah, we're the best players. We're here all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're working the hardest. Uh, it, you work just as hard as we do. Yeah. And, and uh, that is a maturity that, that Quinn, I think, is is learning. And maybe the message is, is being relayed to him now as well. Well, and this is something he exhibited towards the end of last year. And we yes. talked about that a lot. And 
you heard. We started to hear it coming out of the room a little bit more. Exactly. Towards the end, we heard Luke Shen talk about it. We heard uh, some other guys talk about how Quinn was saying towards the end of the year, when it was clear they're not going anywhere, that when it was clear, you know, their late playoff push was going to fall short and there's only a few games left in the season, it's like, hey, let's not ease up here. We want to finish the season strong. Like, this is who we are now. We're not going to let this slide. Like, this is our stand. Like, so we're going to finish the season and we're trying to win every single game because this is who we are now. And those are the types of things you, you get from guys that are growing into being leaders. And I think the organization asking him to do more is because they see he's capable of doing more. The thing that stood out for me there, um, we sort of talked about this a little bit at the end of the year. He mentions Roman Yossi had 100 more shots than I did, so I want to start shooting more. And does Quinn have a, a muffin shot? No, but it's certainly not the hardest shot in the league. It's average. It's a very, very average shot for a defenseman. Yes. For a defenseman, not average in the NHL, but average for a defenseman. What I liked about it, and we saw it a little bit more in his rookie year, he was quick to get it off from the point. Um, you know, he would he had a quick wind up and he'd just like get off a quick clapper. Um, but yeah. Shooting more, he started to implement that a little bit towards the end of the season. I think he's going to try and take that another step further. Get 10 goals this year. The Canucks want more goals out of their back end. Get 10 plus goals. Yeah. You know, he had eight this year, had eight in, as a rookie in 68 games, which, you know, probably should have got to 10. But you want to be able to crest 10 goals, you know? Uh, and, and it's not because it, it, it makes such a big difference on his overall point totals, but you become such a more dangerous player if you have a little bit more goal scoring ability. And, and if you become more of a threat to your point, that also change, changes things, not only on the power play, but also how defenders have to react to him when he gets the puck 5-on-5. Five five. And depending on how this team wants to play, Quinn and how adventurous he's going to be, especially if he ends up playing with OEL and playing his right side, that means he could only be even more involved offensively. So a couple of the other things there on Hughes and from Hughes, he talked about the additions of the offseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kuzmenko has rave reviews already with just one skate. Uh, really likes the speed of Ilya Mikheyev. And talked about a little wrinkle with Curtis Lazar coming in and what that yeah. could mean for specifically Bo Horvat. Because Bo always has to go out there and take the defensive zone face-offs and mm-hmm. it affects what he can do offensively. Is that a deployment thing that could help Bo even more this year. I think it helps him and also like Quinn mentioned even JT Miller because mm-hmm. I think asking both those guys to do more of the defensive stuff isn't playing into their strengths as centermen. And J- Quinn, uh, JT talked a lot about when we had him on too after he signed his contract that he wants to be better as a two-way player and he wants to become one of the best two-way centers in the league and, and you certainly hope that he that he takes that step. But as it stands today, he hasn't shown a lot of two-way ability as a centerman in terms of being a good defensive player yet. He hasn't shown it yet doesn't mean he can't do it. So you don't want to keep throwing those guys out there in the deep end consistently. And that's why Lazar is such a nice underrated move. Right-handed centerman can take a lot of those. I mean, it just takes the pressure off a little bit. I mean, it's not quite like Manny Malhotra and that great Canucks team, but one of the great things that Manny Malhotra did when they signed him for the West, for um, the city in line and also Ryan Kessler was they freed those guys up a lot more offensively. Don't take as many defensive zone stars. I mean, the city just lived in the offensive zone. Ryan Kessler took some, but still a lot more offensive zone draws. 
what does that do? Well, it gives them better starting points. It creates more ability for them to perhaps create a generate offense. And you're taking some pressure off of them and taking some wear and tear off of them by not having them in tough situations consistently. Um, you know, Elliot did mention on today's 32 thoughts that, uh, and talking about Bo as well, like Bo thinks he can just go out and have a big year and <laughs> whether he, he'll sign a contract mm-hmm. with either the Canucks or he's going to hit free agency and sort of a bet on bet on himself type thing. I, I wonder because Bo hit 31 goals last year. And I'm not sure I see a higher ceiling for Bo Horvat offensively than about the 30-goal mark. 35, maybe? Yeah. He'd have to score more at 5-on-5. Yeah. Because he's going to get his 10, 12, 13 goals on the power play. But he has, like, I I just don't see a big 5-on-5 scorer from Bo Horvat. Does this whole little bit of deployment change maybe add something to his 5-on-5 ability? Yeah, I mean, does he get three or four more goals potentially out of it? Yeah. And that's where the difference comes in. You know, I I think you're right in terms of, do I see Bull Horvat being a 40-goal guy in a given year? I, I don't know if I see that. Yeah. But can I see him hit 30, 35 or whatever? Yeah, I can see that, especially with the power play being, you know, as good as it is. If he's getting his fair share on the power play and just gets, a, you know, a few more at even strengths potentially then I can see him being able to hold it up to 30 goals. But, you know, going back to the theme we've kind of established here the past couple of weeks, it's how do you keep getting better everywhere mm-hmm. you can? You know, and that's where the Lazar thing comes in because you take a little bit of pressure off. And that's why when I look at this hockey team and I look at the improvements that they made, that's why I haven't underrated their improvements and we haven't underrated their improvements because of the difference those things can make, the two-way intelligence by getting like Mikheyev and Lazar, how he helps things out a little bit. And if you make some system changes with your breakouts and, you know, Pedersen starts off the season all right, there's a lot of reasons here why this team should be competitive and it should be good. And I'm not saying they're going to become a cup contender and they're going to get over 100 points, but I see no reason, Dan, why this team shouldn't be in the mid-90 to high 90-point range and, and firmly be in the playoff conversation all season. Their uh, their over under total for points I think is in the ninety two and a half range. I mean, spoiler alert, but I'm taking the over on that. <laughs> it, you should be taking the over if you think the Canucks are going to be a playoff team. Then uh, they're going to have to hit that over. And I think if they hit under that, uh, it's been a disappointing season. You know, yeah, uh, they they were at ninety three last year. They should be above that with the additions they've made. Yeah, and I mean. And we talked about Brock Besser a bit earlier in the season. I mean, earlier this week. Yeah. How does he bounce back? Does he get the 30 goals finally? Does mm-hmm. he finally stay healthy a full year and has a productive season? I mean, and we'll see if he ultimately is able to do that and that happens. And not everybody's going to be healthy. And that's a reality too, Dan. I mean, it's unlikely you're going to see JT get 100 points, 99 points. It's What's unlikely. funny is they see... were remarkably healthy for the first half of last year. And very terrible. <laughs> yeah, very healthy. So, I mean... Inevitably, things are going to go awry. Things yes. are going to happen, right? And you're not going to be able to just assume that every single player that was good last year is going to have just as much much success next season. But the same also holds true for the players who struggled last year. Are they going to be as bad, especially the first half, as they were? So, speaking of you know some of the specific players that can improve, the Athletic dropped a top 100 list, mm-hmm. and. There's some interesting stuff at the top of the list. You know, Connor McDavid is not in a tier of his own anymore. He's alongside Austin Matthews and Kale McCarr. 
but maybe we'll we'll save that debate for another day. In total, the Canucks had three players in the top 100. All of them in how the athletic grouped them, tier three, which is where Quinn Hughes was, and then tier four, Elias Pettersson and JT Miller were in that level of the top 100. There were only four tiers in this in this list. By comparison, the Colorado Avalanche, who just won the Stanley Cup, had six players total, seven if you want to include Nazem Kadri, who just left. Mm. So they had six players total in the top 100, and that's the Stanley Cup champion. The Canucks with just three. Is there anyone else on this roster that you could see making a top 100 list for next season? Who could have a breakout year on this Canucks roster, if anyone, and then be in the top 100, considered at least on the fringes of the top 100 in the NHL? The only real candidate I see uh, would be Brock Besser. Right. You know, I guess if you want to say Bo, some some are predicting Bo is going to score 40 goals or something. Bo had 52 points this year, 70 games. For him to be a top 100 player, he either has to, has to become closer to a point-per-game centerman or score 40 goals or become, you know, an, an elite two-way centerman. So I'm just not sure that type of leap is there in his game. Yeah. If Brock Bester scores, say, 30-some goals and gets 80 points or 80-plus points, you can make the case that he puts himself into that discussion. Do I think that's likely? Probably not. But I don't see Connor Garland doing it. No. Uh, Put Colson may have that potential one day. I'm not sure that happens next season for him to take that big of a leap. Sophomore year, that seems... It's uh, a huge leap. Yeah, it's a huge leap. Might be a few years away, a couple years away from that happening. And hey, Ekman Larson acquitted himself all right, but I think the days of him being a top 100 player in the NHL are over, even if you're more optimistic about his game. So I'd say the more, most realistic option, if you have to choose one, would be Brock Besser at the moment. For me, it is. It, I think it has to be Brock as well. Um, I, I guess I could see Bo there. Um, you know, the question with Bo, and, and they mentioned this about Miller, you know, Miller's defensive game, especially from an analytical standpoint, isn't really all that great, you know, and it's what keeps him from being higher on the list, mm-hmm. even as a 99 point guy. Bo has some of the same issues, you know, where the... He's just not as good defensively as sometimes the reputation suggests. And Bo even mentioned in his scrum last week, I want to be better in my own end. I want to be better defensively. So it's still a a stated goal of his to be better at that end of the ice. I Like Philip Deneau is on this list. He had 27 goals last year and is, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the best defensive centermen in the league. Bo's never going to get there. But can can you get close to being something like that? Well, I mean, I don't know, man. Dano's like, always been a really good two-way centerman. Yeah. The difference was he had a high shooting percentage year and he scored a bunch of goals this season. Yeah, I don't think that's sustainable, but his game is sustainable. Bo's scoring is more sustainable than Dano's scoring, but Bo hasn't shown the two-way intelligence and ability that Dano's had his entire career. So I just don't see and not Bo. many players do. So no, that's, I, it's not a necessarily a fair comparison. No, well, I mean, yes, I'm not. It's not necessarily me, you know throwing a knock, knocking Bo in that regard. But for Bo's pathway to becoming a top hundred player in the NHL isn't by becoming this two way ace. Because I don't think he's going to become the next. Even Miller, I have doubts of him becoming the next 
player like that. You know what I mean? Although he's shown some sort of ability his his first year in Vancouver on the wing on that Patterson line. So there's something there in terms of two-way ability if if he does hone it in a little bit. But I don't see that type of ceiling in his game. If Bo's going to get there, it's got to be 40 goals like Torgi Texan. That's what it has to be. And people texting about Demko, these are skaters. Yeah, not top 100 skaters. skaters. Uh, goalies yeah. not included uh, on the list. Um, yeah, Brock, like... So Brock can be a 70-point guy. Like, that's a that's a realistic outcome for Brock Besser this season, is it not? Well, I think so. And, you know, tomorrow uh, we're going to have Cam Robinson on. Yep. And I saw him uh, throw out a tweet. Uh, for the Elite Prospects fantasy hockey projections. And they projected Besser mm-hmm. to have 71 points this upcoming season if he stays healthy and plays, you know, 78, 80 games. That's that's one projection. I've seen others that have a similar type of... Because you look at his career numbers and everything. That seems like a fair projection as long as he's healthy. So, like, a, for reference point, uh, some of the other players and forwards that are in the back end of this top 100 list. You have Philip Deneau, Andre Kopitar, Mike, Mark Scheifele, Carter Verhage, Joel Erickson Eck, Andrew Manjapane, Sean Couturier. Like See, there's, there's a lot of two way ability in a lot of yeah, these players. And listen, I don't completely agree with this entire list. No, you know what and I mean? A lot like, of it is just based on, you know, uh, their, their player model that, Yes, you know, and hey, just, that's they, not the, they plug into the spreadsheet. Yeah, and and, hey, and people have their models and opinions. Same thing, but I wouldn't agree with Manjapane being that type of player, despite the fact that a lot of his analytics are great and he scored a bunch of goals. Like, I have a different opinion than a lot of the stat stuff out there when it comes mm-hmm. to my evaluation of players. That's not to say I don't take that into consideration, but the way I look at guys and I watch Manjapane play, you look him in the postseason, you see everything in his game. To me, that's not a, that's not a top one hundred player. He's not. Yeah, you know, even though the stats may say something about his speed and his overall impact, when I watch him play in situations in the postseason, you watch him in critical spots, and you watch what he can do versus other top level talent. There's a clear differentiation in what he can provide versus other guys, despite the fact that he fills the stat sheet with a lot of value. It's uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. I, I kind of. I wonder, you know, how Brock pans out this year for the Vancouver Canucks. He is one of the bigger um, impact players, like a guy that can increase their floor as a team sort of thing, like if Brock is healthy. The one year we saw Brock, his rookie year, yes, he was great. But the year I sometimes overlook, and I think a lot of Canucks fans overlook at, was the North Division year, where he played all 56 games and was close to a point per game that year. He wasn't, you know, lighting it up with all kinds of goals like we saw him in his first year. But there's an air of, I don't know if, like, we believed that season too much just because it was the North Division and it was really ugly from a Canucks perspective to begin with. And also, well, the thing that stood out to me the most about that year, and you're right about production in that year, a lot of stuff was dodgy and weird and everything about it. But one thing he showed that year was how prolific he can be winning board battles mm-hmm. and how much he excelled in that area of the game and how he grew the past couple of years to become a more 
uh, impactful player in that regard. And, and that's one thing he did so well that year, whether it was on the power play and whether it was, you know, at five on five, it was really winning along the boards and creating offense from that standpoint. And that's why his game should fit in so well with Bruce Boudreau and how they want to play. And this organization just made a $20 million investment. Yeah. In what well, twenty-three million dollar investment, almost in in Brock in Brock Besser to sign him for three more years, and they are they have a huge vested interest here to get the best out of him. Not only because that's value to your team, but also because if you aren't sold long term, he needs to play well for you to be able to move him and get something of value back in return long term for him. But because of that upside and because of the commitment they made to him, I think there's a real push organizationally this year to get the best out of Brock Besser. And with everything else we talked about this week, with everything he's gone through and, and perhaps being able to move forward in life a little bit, this might be the best opportunity and the best chance for him to head into a season now with the proper mindset and having the rest he needs. It's uh, Canuck Central coming up. Some stories around the league. And the idea that Connor McDavid isn't in a tier of his own anymore as the NHL's best player. Do you agree or do you not agree with that assessment? That's next on Canuck Central. Final segment of Canuck Central coming to you from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star, 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 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. So, uh, I mentioned it before the break, uh, Jeffro listening live. Matthews and McCarr still have a bit to go to get on McDavid's level. Is Connor McDavid still in a tier of his own going into this NHL season? So, Matthews is not in his tier. Not in his tier. No, I think McDavid... Hard trophy and all, Matthews no. is not in the same no, tier. No, okay. Matthews is, is, is incredible. Maybe yep. the second best forward in the league, you know, him and McKinnon. I think him and McKinnon, same tier. Yeah. Those two guys, same tier. McDavid as a forward, tier of his own. He's alone. I mean, look at the postseason. As good yeah. as Matthews was, did he do what McDavid did? No. I rest he did my not. case. I rest my case. That's all I need to say. To be in McDavid's tier, you have to uh, at least put your team on your shoulders for one series. Yeah, and not even <laughs> you know what I, I think you know you're you're right, and it's not even so much that Matthews can't dominate; he can. He's an incredible hockey player, one of the best in the game. But when McDavid goes supernova, nobody's on his level. Yeah, the things he did against the Calgary Flames, mm-hmm. what he did against the Kings after they went down in that series. No, Matthews hasn't hasn't reached that level yet. And until you can reach that level, no, I'm not going to put anybody else in his tier. You can maybe make a case for Nathan McKinnon because at times you saw him do something similar in the playoffs, right? And that's why they won a Stanley Cup and he's been so prolific in the postseason. But to me, no, it's it's, it's Connor McDavid by himself. I think McKinnon is closer than Matthews in that type of dominance. What, uh, What Matthews did last year, like his defensive impacts are yep. much stronger than McDavid. Yes. So, like, if you want to make any kind of an argument, it's, well, Austin Matthews is still the best five-on-five goal scorer in the league, and he is a better all-around player than Connor McDavid. But yeah. at the same time, Connor McDavid doesn't have to be a better all-around player because he's still so dominant 
in the way that he plays. Yeah, but you watch the Washington postseason. Like, he was better defensively. When he wants to, he gets back. Yeah. He did a lot more stuff. So, I, mean, I think there's more to him there, too. You know what I mean? So I, I think he's alone. The only player I saw be on that same level in the postseason last year as what we saw from McDavid was Kale McCarr. Yeah. Kale McCarr, you could have made the case, was the best player in the postseason, including Connor McDavid this year. That's how incredible he was. So to me, he's the only guy. Like, I say different positions, but if you want to talk about the class of the league, yeah. the absolute class of the league, there's two players, McDavid and Kale McCarr. If you polled all 32 NHL GMs of anonymously, of course, because nobody would want to put their name on it <laughs> yeah, and upset any of their own players, but if you were to poll all 32 NHL GMs, who would you start a franchise with? Do you think all 32 say Connor McDavid? No. Yeah. I, I think what you're going to get is more than a handful say Kale McCarr. You might get one, say Austin Matthews. You might get another one, say McKinnon or whatever. But I think overwhelmingly McDavid, number two would be Kale McCarr. Yeah. What do you think, Eddie? I think there'd be some guys that would vote for Kale McCarr just because it's such a unique anomaly to have a defenseman of that magnitude. Right-hand defenseman, too. That, too. I just think Dubas might say Austin Matthews just for the sake of saving his job. <laughs> you know the goal McCarr scored against Chicago this year? Yeah. I saw it get posted on the, uh, on I don't know, one of the social The platforms. one where he makes the push stop and turns oh around and goes back God. and scores. That's just incredible. Did, did we, like, overlook that as greatest goal of the year? That yeah. was, it's nuts, man. The more I watch it, the more it's like. This is absolute insanity to make another NHL player look this bad. Kirby Doc is just arriving in Montreal now after picking himself off the ice yeah. after that play. <laughs> I think they traded him for that. He's, He's like, never, never going to over. He got dangled by Kale McCarr. It's not the end of the world. It's, yeah. uh, it's Sam Darnold in his first game being like, I'm seeing ghosts out there. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, man, this poor guy. <laughs> this guy got done. ruined. He got Your ruined. career's over, bro. <laughs> Poor guy. But, I mean, that goal that he scored, everything else killed. And so I was somewhat critical of Kael McCarr at times last year. And not even critical, but saying, okay, he's not a perfect defenseman. There are flaws in his game, and especially early on in the postseason. There were times, even against the Blues, he made some bad defensive plays early Mm -hmm. in the series. But then it flipped. It flipped in a huge way. It wasn't just like, oh, he's responsible now, not making mistakes. He started dominating defensively. Like I was just blown away by how his focus went from – being as good defensively almost as it was offensively, using all the traits he had offensively to be better defensively. And every once in a while, the wrong read would happen. His recovery, the way he took McDavid out of the series, the way he played. I mean, what I saw from from Kale McCarr, and even as somebody who was somewhat critiquing him still up until the postseason last year, there's nothing else I can say to criticize the guy. How does he get better? is he just do more faster? Just do more than what you're already doing. You know? Score more, hundred points, and and win a win like five Norrises in a row. I don't know. I mean, to, I think he can still probably uh, get a bit better defensively. There's still times where his sticks not in the right angle on yeah. the PK and stuff. There, there's certain things it's he can subtle. get better. It's that two percent you talked about the last second. Precisely, very subtle things for him. Very subtle things. It's uh, th- that contract now, six years, nine million. <laughs> looks looks pretty good. Uh, to sign him at that number, uh, because uh, if you were to sign him after this season, he'd probably be the highest paid defenseman in the league, 12, 12 and a half. Oh, easy. I mean, he he might he might be the highest played, paid player in the league when his contract's up in, what is it, five years now? Five yeah. more years? Five more years. How much yeah. is that jump going to be? I mean, 
Frank Saravalli was quoted as saying the cap might go up by nine million in twenty twenty four. Is that yep? Am I, am For the I right start of the twenty twenty four season. So I mean that's two years from now. Mm-hmm. So five years from now, just do the math. Not that it's going to exponentially grow, but at that point, you might be looking at the best player in the league making eighteen million, nineteen million, twenty million, maybe. I mean, it's not. It's not going to take that long to get to that range, guys. Yeah. You know, once we get into the hundred million dollar salary cap, you're going to see players making close to twenty million. Yeah, it's all percentage of the cap. Yeah, and uh, the more the salary cap ceiling goes up, the higher that top player salary will go up, and also a change of mindset in stars get paid and the middleman gets taken out a little bit. We've already seen it a lot in the NHL. But it's only going to keep graduating to that even more. Kale McCarr's teammate is currently in contract negotiations with the Colorado Avalanche. He famously said that on his next deal, he would take a haircut or I can't remember the exact phrasing Nathan McKinnon used, but it would be team friendly in order to help the team build the best team mm-hmm. they could around him. Yeah. To win Stanley Cups. They've now won a cup. And Nathan McKinnon is going into contract negotiations. And has been in contract negotiations with the Colorado Avalanche. But it hasn't been as easy as anybody would have expected. Even by Nathan McKinnon's own admission. Here he is uh, speaking to media today. And speaking to uh, 32 Thoughts today. You've got one more year on your contract. I've heard that it's possible you could end up as the highest paid player in the league. Will you end up as the highest paid player? In you have the to league? ask Pat. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm hoping we'll, we'll get it done pretty soon. And Colorado is the only place I want to be. That's for sure. So love Joe and C-Mac. Those guys are great. It's just, you know, a little business, but sorry to not to answer your question, but I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> I'm not going to answer you. But what you're saying to me is there's nothing to worry about here. Like, this is on the path to getting done. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, myself, Pat, the team, we all have good intentions. There's no bad blood or anything. It's just, it's been a longer process than I thought, I guess. In my head, it's like, oh, first day I'm eligible, it'll be done, you know? But <laughs> things don't work like that, I guess. But it's okay. I think uh, it should be done shortly, I'm hoping. That's my goal. If not, I guess... Feeling good, so whatever happens, happens. So there is uh, Nathan McKinnon. I uh, thought it would be done as soon as he was eligible, but clearly not. Um, also <laughs> was quoted as saying, as for the AAV, it will be fair, but not going to be a si- single digit. Which, of course. <laughs> single digit. Like, yeah. Somebody should like... <laughs> Every agent around the league should be angry if if Nathan McKinnon signed for a single oh, digit. Yeah, I mean, unless they somehow allowed him to do like 13, 15 year deals or something <laughs> again. I mean, that's the only way. But uh, so the funny thing is, to Nathan McKinnon's point earlier, he might take less yeah. than what he what he could get. And it's still going to make him the highest paid player in the league. Mm-hmm. Nice problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so no matter what's going to happen, people are going to scoff at the notion he took a pay, pay cut because when you become the highest paid player in the league, you're the highest paid player. How do you take a pay cut being the highest paid player? But that's exactly what Connor McDavid did because he could have got an extra was a five six hundred k per year, and he was like, eh, "This it is- seemed like at first he was going to get thirteen million yeah. on the average annual value, and then it was like, uh, take a little bit off. Maybe I'll take a little bit less. Save some for Leon." Yeah. <laughs> 
when you know uh the the point about leon gordy Locke on twitter was asking us i mean why do we not bring up dry as being in mcdavid's class yeah. i mean if you're talking about those other guys why not mention dry and i think that's a great point um dry does get left in a uh short tier below it's kind of like the the malkin thing you know Leon Dreisaitl is, you know, this iteration of the NHL's Evgeny Malkin, where he's just, like, living in his teammate's shadow. Mm -hmm. And while Malkin was, you could argue at times, was the best player in the league and most dominant player in the league, it was just like, yeah, but he's, you know, behind Sidney Crosby. If he was born in Saskatchewan, or are we having a different (laughs) conversation about Evgeny Malkin, right? Probably. (laughs) Yeah. He's from the prairies. (laughs) So again, this this all comes down to percentage of the salary cap, right? When it comes to Nathan McKinnon. So, what's the cap right now? Eighty two and a half million. It'll be eighty three and a half for next year. If you are looking at fifteen percent of the cap, that's like thirteen million bucks, mm-hmm. and that's a totally reasonable number for a player as good as Nathan McKinnon to sign for. And everybody's going to look at that and be like, oh my God, like $15 million? How how are you ever going to win a Stanley Cup with a player making $15 million on the average annual value? And it's just like, I don't know, figure it out. <laughs> Nathan McKinnon is worth that. Well, and to your point, I mean, when the cap goes up, that's not going to look absurd. It shouldn't. It's not going to look absurd. And and that's why what you deem as a discount and what the agent deems as a discount is going to be two really different things. Because as much as we're sitting here saying 15% of the cap today, Brisson sitting there saying, um, you know what? Like, yeah, it's true. But a year from now, the cap's going to go up 10%. So it's going to be what? Down to 11, 10%? Yeah. So it's like, what's 15% today? Tomorrow is going to be 12%. Yeah. So I don't want 15% today. I want 15% of what's going to be tomorrow and beyond or what's going to be closer to 15%. So that to me is fascinating. Does he sign for 13 or is it actually closer to 16? Because guess what, guys? In two years, that 16 million is not going to look as bad. No. And how do you spread the money around? In terms of term. Yeah. Well, with him, you got to go eight years. You got to go eight years. I mean, with McKinnon, he's the type of guy. You have to bring the AAV down as much as you can, even though yes. the number is absurd. You have to go eight years. You have no choice with those guys. You you go eight years and, um, you know, it, the, the thing about star players at that level, you, you don't even worry as much, you know, when they get into their mid-30s. Because no. players, players that good. They generally stay damn good Look into at, their mid mid thirties. Are the Penguins worried at all about Sidney Crosby going into camp? No, and I mean, even Malkin is still like yeah. even at, at last year. What put up uh, was on a forty Point goal per game. pace. Well, even even with all the injuries and everything that's happened, the wear and tear, these guys are still point per game players. Yeah, at that advanced age and all the stuff that's happened. And, and to your point, it's a great one. That's why you're betting on those superstar players because the fall off is still going to be star level at the end of the day. The guys who really drop off tend to to not be like the star star players. Yeah. Right. Um, when, when we're talking to this level of player, you're not worried about a significant drop off unless it is injury related, uh, even going into their mid 30s. So Connor McDavid signed his deal in 2017. 
five years ago now. Wow. Um, at the time, it was 16.6% of the cap. Now it's about 15% of the cap. And that's with the last two years of the salary cap basically being flat. Yeah. So, you know, even when they were when they were projecting that deal out, they were like, well, you know, five years from now, it's going to be 13 or 14% of the cap. Well, you, you and know, it just it hasn't worked out that way for pandemic reasons. No, 100%. And I mean, part of the reason, too, because it, it's very convenient as much as, you know, Elliot had the opinion, and it's a good one, and I'm sure it plays a part into it, that one of the reasons you're seeing these guys sign these big contracts so quickly is they, they want to avoid being in the same situation the Oilers I and mean, the Flames were in, you know, with Kachuk and stuff like that. Get your guys locked up and, you know, worry about a later type of deal. The other part of it, you know, and I keep looking at it, and you see with the McKinnon thing, is the salary cap going up in a couple of years and owners and teams being told that's happening is undoubtedly, Dan, having an impact in how these negotiations are happening and why teams may be willing to sign these contracts. Because, again, in three years' time, yep. $8 million is not going to look crazy. You know, $7.5 million is not going to look crazy. Yeah. And it's still a lot of money. It's insane. I could get it. Like, But it's relative to the cap, it's not going to look as bad. So even though we're, we're getting sticker shock on, this, on the Stutzel deal and the Cairo one and all those sort of things, but what if a 25 goal scorer gets $8 million in yep. three years? Guys who are 60-point guys get seven and a half, eight million. That's where we're heading towards, you know? And so if you're getting ahead of it and these guys pop, then you're like, well, you know what? Like, hey, I'm paying a guy to be a 25-goal scorer and he's scoring 40 goals for me right now. The cap may not go up significantly for the next two seasons, but for the start of that 2024 season, we may be looking at a $9 million jump uh, as per the report from Frank Saravalli. I I hate to bring it back to, to Elias Pettersson, but yeah, the Canucks are going to have that conversation with Elias Pettersson. The year the cap's going up. July 1st of next year, right? I mean, it, that's why... With Pedersen, it really depends on how the season goes. But yeah. I, but I think you're going to be. I'm not saying he's going to be in the same boat as McKinnon in terms of maybe being the highest paid player in the league. But if he has a huge year, that's why the McKinnon contract is going to be interesting. Because if it's a higher percentage of the cap today, with mm-hmm. the thought of well, it's going to go down in a couple of years, what type of impact does that have on those next contracts and the type of posture agents will take, especially if you know you're a year out from that big gap, from that big jump. So, uh, yeah, I'm fascinated to find out. Um, The question is, has Pedersen's overall ceiling changed salary-wise from where it was a year and a half ago? Because after his first two years, based on his production and based on the contracts other guys signed, namely Matthews and Marner, and his production the first two years, overall points, very, very similar. If he signed a long-term deal, it would have to be $10 plus. Has that changed significantly from where it's going to be in a year's time? No. And that that was always my um my thought when when Pedersen contract negotiations were happening last summer is you know is he going to significantly increase his total number? You know, if if he's asking for 10 plus million now, is it going to significantly increase by the end of a bridge deal? And the way that it does is the salary cap goes up by a significant margin. And there's also a clear line of demarcation between the great players and the greatest players. Mm -hmm. And Pedersen, yet as much as his potential might be incredible, has not yet shown he belongs in the same discussion as those players yet. You know what I mean? So for you to even get in the realm of 11, 12 million plus, 
he's going to have to do this for a couple more years. You know what I mean? If he wants to sign a contract next year after a big year, I can see 10, maybe even 11 or something on a long-term deal. But to get beyond that, you're talking about a couple years of doing McKinnon, Matthews, McCarr things, you know? Uh, McKinnon will be the 13th skater in the NHL with a double-digit number. Yeah, that's way two more goalies, than, so yeah. 15, 15 total players in the league that make $10 million on the average annual value. The most recent contract was signed by Sasha Barkov mm-hmm. at $10 million per. Yeah. Um, I think it, the Barkov it's, it's a one. very exclusive level of player that gets into the double digits in the NHL. Yeah, Huberto got that. Yep. Eight years, 80.5, was it? Huberto is, uh, yeah, Huberto is the most recent. Yeah, so, I mean. Uh, before this offseason. Yeah. Until this offseason. And. Pedersen's a centerman, yep. but he hasn't shown the type of production Huberto's had yet. But if he puts up a 100-point season, you're talking about $10 million. Uh, and he may just very well say, I'm going to bet on myself and see where we're at uh, going into that uh, the end of that bridge contract. Well, Speak- it's it's yep. easier when uh, you've banked over $25 million already after yes. five years because you hit his bonuses the first few years playing in the NHL and then you know making over $21 million mm-hmm. on his on his second contract. Uh, speaking of the Flames, Mackenzie Weger said today that he feels these Flames are better than the uh, Florida Panthers. I guess what what is he supposed to say? He's yeah. now he's now a Calgary Flame. Okay, so um, but that was a really good Florida team last year. Yeah, but is Florida better? Because I don't think they are. I don't see it. Because okay, they get Matthew Kachuk, but they lose Huberto and lose some other players, mm-hmm. right? I mean, um, Marchment left and all that sort of stuff. Their defense, they lost Weger. If you look at their defense outside their right, like their left side doesn't look very good. <laughs> and who do you want in goal? I mean, Spencer Knight, is he ready? The 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 Bobrovsky contract really became an issue for them. Big time issue. I, I mean, I can see Florida taking a step back this upcoming season. Step back from 58 wins? Yeah. Well, I mean, or like not yeah. just not just a step back, but like. Might win 51 or 52. Yeah. No, I, I can see them not like um, not being in the top tier this year. Where they're just kind of like, they're a 100 point team or whatever, but they're not in that, you know, absolute they're best team. for the President's Trophy. Yeah. As much hype as there is on Ottawa and even Buffalo to a certain extent, Detroit did a lot. Like, all those teams are going to be better. It's still really hard to project them above any of the, the playoff laden teams in the, in the Atlantic Division. Those are just flip a coin teams in terms of playoff chances. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm looking There's at so many good teams in the East. Yeah, I'm looking at the defense again. I mean, <laughs> Mark Stahl might you be look on like the third you're pair. about to throw up in your mouth. Well, Mark Stahl might be on your third pair. Yeah, it's not great. I'm, hey, their top four is fine. You got Ekblad, Montour has been all right. Gustav Forsling's played well. Radko Gudis is all right. But Weaker is pretty big loss because he was clearly their second best defenseman. Yes, and now they have one really good defenseman and a couple of decent guys, and the depth is gone. And even Nudavara. Yeah, a couple of years ago was helping them out. Not only they don't have depth guys like him anymore. Uh, fascinating. We'll have uh, more previews of the upcoming season as the weeks go on. Tomorrow we are on three to six. If you would like to listen live, you can always get it on demand with the podcast. We'll have a mailbag. Sat will put out the question as he always does at Satyar Shaw on Twitter. Dan Murphy's going to join us. Cam Robinson on the Young Stars tournament. So there is lots to get to to close the week here on Canucks Central. For producer Eddie Gregory, my co-host Satyar Shah, I'm Dan Richo. You've been listening to Canucks Central on Sportsnet 650.